Genesis 11, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. You may be seated. Point number one, barren. Point number one, The Lord is teaching us in Genesis chapter 11 is about barrenness. Genesis chapter 11 is filled with signals of sadness. And I just want to draw our attention to three signals of sadness in the last two verses of chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. Do you see the words that they settled there in Haran. That is a signal of sadness because we have just read earlier in chapter 11 in verse 2. Look back in chapter 11, verse 2. The same phrase is signaling sadness in this chapter where the people of the world who were called by God to spread out, to fill the world with God's image, to fill the world with the knowledge of God and the glory of God. They don't spread out, they settle there in Shinar. God comes to judge those who settle there. This is not a good sign at the end of Genesis 11. And we have another signal of sadness in verse 32. Terah died not in Canaan, Terah died in Haran. And you need to understand what the people of Moses who would have originally heard Moses tell this story who were in the wilderness waiting to go into Canaan. This was the land of life in the presence of God. This was the promised land that they were supposed to enter into and have God's presence uniquely among all the world. They want to get to Canaan This family sets off to Canaan and then they stop. Before they get to Canaan, Terah dies. Outside of receiving the fullness of life with God, Genesis 11 ends in curse. It's filled with sadness. But the greatest signal of sadness is what we find in verse 30. The greatest signal of sadness that should fill our hearts with sadness 
is what we find is empty in verse 30. Now, I love the Olympics. I don't know if you or someone who watches the Olympics, we're always trying to figure out. We don't have TV normally. Uh, we're always figuring out whenever the Olympics come or World Cup comes, how we can watch these competitions. And the Winter Olympics, we've, we've loved especially uh, because we like this, um, this event, short track speed skating. I don't know if you guys like this, but we, we kind of got into the Olympics by watching Apollo Anton Ono uh, go up against the South Koreans uh, every Olympics. And that, that short race is thrilling to me because it requires so much strategy, so much strength, so much skill. And Apollo Anton Ono, he'd always be, like, be behind the South Koreans. They'd always double up and try to block him out. And somehow always he'd get the gold right at the end when he'd race in. And so I was watching uh, these, this event this, uh, this year, and um, I was bummed because Paulo Antonono was just one of the announcers. He wasn't actually racing. We didn't have really anyone good to root for. And so one of the big stories uh, of this Olympics was uh, the, the nation of Greece. I don't know if you saw this, but the nation of Greece, who's never meddled in short track speed skating. You remember this story, how they were placing, finally, all of their hopes to get a medal in this one athlete, and, and there's all this buildup, and finally they, they come to this big race, and, and they're going to challenge South Korea for the podium. And do you, do you remember who they roll out onto the ice? Their great hope for a medal this year was a corpse. A coffin. Obviously that did not happen. No one places their hopes in the dead. I want us to kind of get some sense of what's happening in verse 30. I want you to imagine, this is, not, this is not some story about some game, but imagine that you have crushing debt. And you place all your hopes to pay off your crushing debt. All your hopes are in an overdrawn bank account. Or you could think of it this way. We are, it seems, tomorrow entering in the 110 degree summer that we always experience at the very beginning of March until December in Graham. And the 110 degree summer that starts tomorrow, you realize that your AC is broken and all your hopes to being cool rests in me fixing it. (laughs) One should imagine... What is at stake in verse 30? And then I want you to stop imagining. Because verse 30 is not about my imagination. Verse 30 is your reality. Listen to me. Chapter 11, verse 30 is your reality. All of your hope For anything good at all is in Sarah's womb. There is not a hope, there is not a good that you can name, that you can have, that is not inside Sarah's womb. 
This is what we should feel as we come to these genealogies and Genesis 11. Whenever you think of the book of Genesis, you might be thinking of, of genealogies. You might be thinking of this section of Genesis and think of, well, that's about creation, how God created the whole world, and, and that's about the fall, how humanity sinned and, 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 and lost God. You, you may be thinking about what the kids are studying today in Praise Factory about the flood of Noah. But... One of the main things that Genesis is doing is it is tracking a blessing. One of the main roles of the book of Genesis is to track one people in these genealogies. The one people who are separate from all the world as the only people who carry with them any kind of blessing from God in this world. We've seen these genealogies. Chapter 5, if you look back there, I want you to see what is going on in Genesis as we come to the end of this series. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. This book of Genesis is tracking a line of people. What becomes of Adam? Then we go to chapter 5, verse 29, and you see through these genealogies of so-and-so was born and then so-and-so died and his father had this son who then died and had a son. It all traces, it tracks this one line of promise from Adam and then it's handed off in verse 29 to Noah and then we get some more story about the flood and then we get back to chapter 11. If you turn there in chapter 11, verse 10, you see that this Line of blessing is being traced from Adam to Noah and then to Noah's son in verse 10, Shem. Genesis is very concerned that our eyes are fixed on the genealogies because we want a blessing. And we cannot have it if this genealogy does not continue. And so from Shem, we follow that line of blessing, and we're tracking the hope of the world to verse 27 in this man, Terah, who we are told has a son named Abram, who we know as Abraham. This is what Genesis is telling us, to fix our eyes on the hope, the blessing being traced from one father to a son over and over again. The world's hope is in this people. They are the only people in the world who carry any kind of promise for good. You have to understand what is at stake for you in 11 verse 30. And you read 11 verse 30. And I hope you feel the tragedy. Genesis 11 finishes on a note that is telling us very clearly just how far we've come from the beginning. Look back in Genesis 1 where we started this series. And I want you to just look at verse, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And I want you to see the key word that comes up again and again in these verses. It's the word blessing. And I want you to see in this and, and how things began, how blessing was defined. And really, blessing was defined by babies. Blessing was defined by babies. You see that? Multiply, fill. Be fruitful. You are blessed in this way by having lots and lots of babies. Why? For this reason that 
you, humanity, might fill the world with the image of God, that the whole world might know who He is by looking at you. And then from Genesis 1's blessing of a whole world filled with the glory of God, we've come to Genesis chapter 11, and last week in verses 1 through 9, we saw how this isn't a whole world full of God worshipers. It is It is one nation now because all the world gathered together in this one place and defied God and God cursed these people and then blessed this one line, the one line that we're tracking. It's not a whole world filled of God worshipers. It is one nation. And verse 30 tells us that the mother of that nation, where all our hope is, is barren, not blessed. Her womb is not fruitful. Turn over to Genesis 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15, Adam and Eve sin against God. What you need to believe is that sin killed this blessed world. Sin killed this blessed world. And God in His grace... Doing what we do not deserve promises this blessing to come in the cursed world. Notice who it's through. It is through one line of people. Chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity, war between you and this woman and between your children and her the unique offspring that comes from her line. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Do you notice the tension in the next verse? He then turns to that woman who will have a son. And what does he say to her? For her sin, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. The God of all hope places all of our hope in the son of Genesis 3.15 who comes in Genesis 11 from this line of people. We need him to conquer sin. We need him to conquer Satan. We need him to restore life with God to us. So we come to verse 30 and we should feel very burdened because the world's hope lies in a barren womb. The main point of our last sermon in Genesis 11 is this. This is the gospel truth. The world's hope lies in a barren womb. We come to the end of our series and ask the question, will Genesis 3.16 cancel Genesis 3.15? Well, the difficulty, because of sin, to bear children kill our hope in a Savior. See, genealogies are actually God's GPS trackers. That's what these genealogies do. They're not just Bible reading plan killers, as one preacher put it once. Genealogies are the GPS trackers of God's hope. They're not tracking everybody, right? We don't have a list of everyone who was born and died. We even have of Terah's children. One of them just totally ignored because the hope is not in him. 
The hope is only in Abram. The world's hope lies in a womb of the wife. The world's hope lies in the womb of the wife of every man that's listed in every genealogy. And so there's a sense in which as we read these formulas that we should be holding our breath as we find out what will become of this man. Will he have a son? The Bible does not believe in the world's God. Friends, you live in a world. You know people. You can go to churches that teach that sin is an inconvenience. Sin, it just is like a hurdle to hope. It's a handicap to the blessings of God. And there's some suggestion in there that God is not overly concerned with it. If this womb remains barren, God's Savior will not come. And you need to know that that means the world. That, that has a world of hope in it that is lost. What this means is you and I cannot have any good. I mean the air that you breathe. I mean food. I mean water. I mean lungs. If that womb stays barren, you can't have it. You can't have healthy births of your children. You can't have any laughter. You can't have any joy. You can only have what God would only have to give you, which is punishment, if this womb remains barren. That means all of the words of hope that we offer to one another becomes wishes, only wishes. This too will pass. No, it won't. Hold on. Doesn't matter. So-and-so is in a better place. No, they're not. God is going to make this right. No, He will not if this womb remains barren. Keep looking up. There's no point in looking up to your judge. The world would belong to Cain's. It would belong to people who kill kill to feel better, to, to feel stronger, to feel more important because they're proud. Your only hope to know God, your only hope to experience love, to have joy, to be freed from your addictions, to be freed from the sin of self and pleasure, from the things that are killing you, from the things that are destroying your relationships, your only hope to escape Satan's cruel plans for your eternity, all your hope, all of my hope are in Sarai was barren. She had no child. The word child is a special word for child. It's used one other place in the Old Testament for this lady named Michael who was a princess, the daughter of Saul, married to the anointed King David. It says she had no prince. She had no child. This is what verse 30 is saying. Beloved, there is no king for you to hope in. If the Bible ended here, God would be a liar. Imagine a world where God is lying. There would only be hell 
or worse, we would all just die and nothing would happen after that. Do you think that's worse? Friends, a sign of your spiritual health this morning is how okay you are with chapter 11, verse 30. Let me ask you a question. Would you be content to make your life about this life? This life you're living is all you have. Can you be okay with 80 years of loving your family and making money to spend on you and your family, of of making a name and leaving a name for your family? Or must you have God forever? Some preachers will lie to you. And they tell you things like, God wants your best life now. And God's going to give it. Some preachers lie to you and say that there is, if you'll just let God, He will. There's only prosperity in front of you. There's only goodness in this life in front of you. You hear them preach and they say things like, God only gives you better. He's got these better jobs for you. He's got a better family. Better, 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 better. And the Bible says, Genesis 3.15 always came with Genesis 3.16. That abundant life from God, if it's from God, it always comes with adversity, not prosperity. Real abundant life, a real kind of prosperity with adversity. And friends, if you live without God, All that is left to you is barren, empty deadness. Sarah's womb shows you what sin has done to everything in this world. All of your hope lies in that womb. But the Bible does not end in Genesis 11. This barrenness leads to blessing. Point number two is blessed. Point number two is blessed. The world's hope lies in a barren womb. As we close this series, we are invited to review the beginning, how it all started. In the beginning, God spoke out of what? Was He... Was he creating the world out of these good materials that he had to work with? No. God spoke good out of nothing. God filled an empty world, a barren world. He filled the world with life when there was nothing. And He did it by His voice. And humanity, remember, they lost the Lord and they lost their life when they lost the Lord's voice. It was when they ignored this powerful Word of God that they died. That is a hint as to where our hope really is. Life lies in the Word of God. 
And so Genesis 11 is bringing us to the start of Genesis 1 again. It's ending on this note of curse and tragedy. The world's hope lies in a barren womb. And we've read the beginning part of the story. And we know that that's not the full story. Since God, our God, the only creator, speaks good out of nothing, then the world's hope does not just lie in a barren womb. The world's hope lies in God's words. And He has promised, beloved. He has spoken and He has guaranteed. When we see a barren womb, we ask the question, well, what can God do with a barren womb if He just speaks over it? And so He speaks in Genesis 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you one hundred year old man with a ninety year old wife who has a barren womb. I will make out of your marriage a great nation. And I will bless you the way that I've said I will bless those in Genesis with babies. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing to the whole world. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When Abraham, the story goes on, Abraham and Sarah hear that this nation is going to bring blessing to this cursed world. And that nation is inside of the womb of Sarah, Sarah. 90 years old, I mean, what would you do? This marriage hasn't produced anything. You're barren. You're well beyond childbearing years. What would you do? She laughed. Abraham skips over her with her blessing and conceives with her servant. But God gave a promise. A child was born to Sarah. God speaks hope. This is what was meant in Romans 4. God speaks hope into against hope circumstances. The barren womb is an against hope kind of circumstance that the whole world would have had no hope in. But the people of God believe. And one day, there's a man who was born of a virgin church. A virgin. You know the formula for people being born. And virginity is not part of the formula. There is a man who faces a different kind of barrenness. He comes from a virgin. And one day he's walking down this road, unrecognized by these two men who are absolutely devastated. And Jesus asked them, why are you so sad? And they explained their sadness. They said, our people who we trusted in, our leaders in Israel, the people of God, they condemned this man who was mighty before God in word and deed. They condemned him though he was innocent. And God allowed this. And these men killed him on a cross. 
Why are we sad? Why are we hopeless? Because all of our hopes were in Him. This is what he says. We had hoped that Jesus, we had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem us. And then they said, we had hoped in that, but it's been the third day since he died. Now friends, we may be too quick when we come to Genesis 11 and just start thinking, well, this isn't the end of the Bible. We don't need to be that quick. We don't need to be that too quick with these men who are devastated and hopeless because it's the third day after Jesus has been killed. We don't need to go so quickly to how they are wrong before we appreciate how right they are. They are hopeless because all of their hopes are in a tomb. The world has no hope if that son is dead. Anyone who knows anything has been tracking from Adam all the way to Mary and Joseph the blessing. And it comes through this one who they know to be dead. And Jesus says, fools, now we'll get to how wrong they are. You fools, slow to believe all that the prophets said. It was necessary for the Savior to suffer and then be raised. Jesus tells these two men on the road to Emmaus that they should have believed a prophecy from Moses in Genesis 11. But all the prophets, but there's a prophecy in Genesis 11 verse 30 that God speaks life in barrenness. The tomb of God's Son would become the womb of a new world. This was a promise that we come to in Genesis chapter 11 when we see the barren womb of the woman where all of our hopes are in. And then we see a man born of a virgin who all the hopes of the world to redeem us and return us to God are placed in him. And then he goes into a tomb. Beloved, that tomb of Jesus is the womb of a new world. A whole new world is born out of his tomb on that third day. His death was absolutely necessary if sin would be conquered, if Satan would be conquered. And it would also be necessary that he not just die, but that he be raised. Because if God raises Jesus from the dead, you've got a promise. That he has accepted Jesus' death in the place of the death that you deserve for your sins. And, and if God's anger for your sins has completely been absorbed by someone else and that someone else is not in a tomb any longer, all that you have from God now is not judgment. It is only joy because all that you have is hope because his grave is empty. Amen. It was necessary, Jesus says, For God to place our hope in death. Because we died when we stopped trusting God. What death is. What death is. Is not believing that God is different from everyone in this world. Not trusting every word he says. And when we don't do that, we die. That is what we are as sinners. 
And so it was necessary for him to place all of our hope in the death of our Savior so that we would have to trust him alone and really him alone. The one who killed our Savior ultimately was the one who willed the death of our Savior and then the one who raised our Savior. The cure for a barren world is to give life in the midst of barrenness so he puts our only hope in a grave and then he gives life to the barren. I do not assume. I do not make any assumptions that because you're here in church, that you are devoted to Jesus. God gives life to the barren. He does not give life to the fruitful. If you're living your life to get the most out of this world and you're feeling pretty good, You're living for happiness. Listen, whether you come to church on Sundays or not, if you give little thought to Jesus, if all your hopes are in this world, your hope is barren. God will turn your hope to shame. But if you confess that you are barren spiritually before God. And that all you have to bring to Him is your guilt and all you have is your sin to bring to Him, then you need to know what kind of God you're bringing your sin and guilt to. It's a God who gives life to the barren. If you place all your hope in the death of the one who is not dead, you will live. In hope, Abraham believed against hope. In hope, it didn't matter how many against hope circumstances, he's 100, she's 90, she's barren. Against hope, he has hope. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the barrenness of his wife's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong while he's facing against hope circumstances. He's growing stronger and stronger. Those against hope circumstances make him more hopeful. And he gives glory to God because he gets more hope facing impossibility and barrenness and deadness and lifelessness, everything that the world would lose hope in. He was fully convinced God will do what He has spoken to do. The cure to death is trust. You have to trust Him. Not just pray a prayer, but trust all your life and all your hope, not in your performance, in Him alone. That distinguishes real Christians from the phonies. Beloved, hope in Jesus for life in the midst of your against hope circumstances. He will bring adversity into your life. When the world loses hope in their adverse circumstances, we never lose hope because we know the God who brings into existence things that do not exist. That's what Genesis 1-11 through is about. The things don't exist and then He speaks. Abundant life comes in, not apart from, not by the removal of, in the midst of, against hope circumstances. You are exhausted. You find it hard to hear God. You find it hard to speak to God. 
You're overwhelmed by your sin and constantly failing. You're overwhelmed by the sin of others against you. You're exhausted as a father and as a husband and as a wife and as a mother, as a child. You are exhausted, wearying the Lord with all of your sin. You're tired, perhaps, because you're caring for needy people around you. You know you should do it. You know you must do it. And yet you're tired of doing it. And you feel guilty for that. And, or you're lonely. You're worried that the money is just not going to come in. How can it be when we fight all the time that this marriage can ever end in anything other than divorce? Will these loved ones I've been praying for and sharing the gospel with for so many years ever be saved? The world has no hope in those situations. They only have divorce. They only have lawyers. They only have despair. They only have disowning. They only have ambition. We never lose hope. We never lose hope in the dead, barren circumstances of life because God speaks life into the dead. But beloved, our hope for things in this life to turn around is not what we're hoping for. Listen, we always have hope in those situations. We don't give up. We don't lose faith that God may work and speak into existence something that does not exist in this circumstance, but that is not our hope. It's not our hope to have a wonderful marriage or healthy or thriving spiritually children. Because our hope cannot lie in this world. The broken and barren circumstances of our lives are not promises that those circumstances are going to change. They, are, they actually are in our lives for a different purpose altogether. They are worship leaders. They are the things that remind us of a God who speaks out of nothing. So when you are facing life in a barren world and you just keep getting reminded by all the things that leave you empty in this world, you're reminded that I can't have life in this world. Jesus is the one I have life in and he's the one who's going to make all things new after this life. And as you face not mainly the brokenness of other people, but your own brokenness and sin. And you cry out, who will rescue me from me? You remember, God loves me and he did not spare his own son. I have Jesus and so I have it all. The world's hope lies in a barren womb, but God kept his word to empty the tomb of his son and fill us with nothing but hope. Beloved, look at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus for your heart's deepest desire. God is going to swallow up death forever and he will wipe away every tear from your eye and he will bring you to the one you're actually waiting for. You're actually hoping for the Lord Jesus Christ. For him we have waited. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give life to our souls in the Lord Jesus and you would prevent us from any kind of lie that we can find fullness in this world and instead take our hopes out of this world and take them out of the grave of Jesus and put them where Jesus is by your right hand. Put them there in our risen Lord. It is for him we wait. God, we pray that we would be a people then who rejoice and who are glad always, no matter what we face. In Jesus' name, amen.